Hi guys, Tim here. Just a quick one before we get into the pod today. Um, sound quality on this one isn't fantastic. I mean, it's never uh, amazing on our shows, but it, basically on this one we had four people sharing two microphones as well as our usual doing it over a Zoom link. So, yes, yeah, sorry if that becomes a distraction to you. Um, I mean, it's Christmas, so, you know, never mind. It's a bonus part, and it's free anyway, so what do you care? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, other than that, hope you're having a lovely Christmas. Hope you enjoy the pod, and we'll see you soon. Ta-da! Welcome to Album Clash. The podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and put them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello, this is Album Clash. I am Christmas. Let me in. And I am Backdoor Santa. <laughs> well, you can explain that one away later on. <laughs> Hello, Kevin. How are you? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, it's uh, the most wonderful time of the year. Indubitably. Merry Christmas to all our wonderful listeners. Indeed. Thank you for listening. And if you are listening to this on Christmas Day, then... What are you doing? Like, why why don't you bang into the cheese and, like, the celebrations? (laughs) At the same time, that's just wrong, mate. The cheese. Cheese and celebration. Not the same time. I don't think anyone's suggesting that. I'm not saying cheese and celebration. No. no. Literally cheese. what you just yeah, said. Cheese and wine followed by celebration. No, I'm saying you cheese. literally just, just said not, cheese and celebration. Not at the same time. Yeah, no one no one took that at the same time. Okay, so you'll have just have heard, guys, we have two special guests with us today. Firstly, on her second appearance on Album Clash, whoop, whoop. we welcome back. Sam! Hello, Sam. Hi. I haven't done any research. I'm just here with the vibes. <laughs> Don't pull back the curtain, Sam. Oh, Sam, I've done loads of research and I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have, for her first appearance, my wife, Shell. I'm not made up, people. I'm actually real. <laughs> <laughs> Tim has actually managed to procure himself a wife without the use of a cash inducement. Well, I was going to say... Can we be clear what we mean by procure? (laughs) (laughs) Mail order. Special. It was for a couple of camels. (laughs) I'm not entirely sure there wasn't a lot of alcohol involved, but, you know. Also, can I just briefly... Because I read, like, a Guardian article today, which was, like, the most bizarre news stories of the year. So in Saudi Arabia, they have, like, a prettiest camel contest and loads of them were disqualified for like having Botox or work done on their face. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. How Are you sure they weren't scousers? <laughs> they look fabulous. <laughs> pretty, pretty camels <laughs> with my, my eyelashes. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, as we promised, well, as, did we promise or did we sort of say we'd try anyway? We foretold <laughs> it in the stars. <laughs> <laughs> we were visited by three spirits. It was on a starry night. That is a sense of decorum that is rarely present on our album. I'd Clash. like to think that I raised the level, the tone, <laughs> as it were. 
we bring down the level on this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, welcome to our Christmas bonus clash, where the four of us are going to take you through some of our favourite Christmas songs. So, it wouldn't be Album Clash without some sort of uh, shoehorned competition. So what we're going to do, we've each chosen two Christmas songs that we like. We're going to go through them in turn. We'll each rank them out of ten. And then at the end, we'll see which is the best. Alice Clark? Yeah, that's is good, yeah. I've got a pen and I've written it down. I just bought <laughs> myself. So, before we start going through our favourite Christmas songs... Does anyone have any shite that they have stuck in their head? I do. I do, actually. So, One More Sleep by Leona Lewis. It's not good. It's not pretty. But I love it. I can't help myself. I sing it. I know all of the words. I've taught my daughter all of the words, and now it's stuck. It's stuck <laughs> forever. The, you've, pa- you've passed it on. I have. <laughs> it, it, it gets worse. I have, many, I have many questions here. So, what? usually, can't get you out of my head. It's reserved for something that is popped into our head that we can't get out, that we're not happy about. You have willingly played this song <laughs> repeatedly. Well, no, it's a double-edged sword. It, no, no, it's a double-edged sword, right? <laughs> so it came on. I was like, oh, this is really bad. But I love it. It's it's like the lime pickle of the music Christmas universe. <laughs> I'm like, I love it, but I hate it. I love it. I love it. I can't. I need more in my life. Can I just ask one Clarification question, to which yes. I know the answer. <laughs> ha- have you put Leona Lewis's One More Sleep on your Christmas playlist? Yes, I have. So there you go, then. <laughs> I rest my case. It gets followed up by uh, Kelly Clarkson. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's as though you've, you've, like, you're self-torturing there. Yes, yes. Like that German fella who like paid some fella to <laughs> eat his willy. <laughs> Kevin was like, okay, the joke. Ger- oh no, he's not. Yeah, you did go there. He bought out the German sausage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, cannibalism at Christmas. What is you going to do? <laughs> oh my goodness me. Right, okay. Right, moving swiftly on from that. <laughs> yeah, Leona Lewis to cannibalism in two minutes. That's got to be a record. That's album clash. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Right, okay, uh, so that's yours, Shell. Sam, do you have any shite stuck in your head that you'd like to get out? Okay, so... <laughs> this sounds very confessional already. Deck the Halls by Glee. So Glee, if you don't know, is like a musical theatre show, or it was back in the day, and my sister Laura absolutely loves it. And while she was folding the washing today, she was going full beans, deck the halls, nice. which is to the tune of Beyonce single ladies. Oh, nice. I have a mega mix in my head that I haven't been able to get out of single ladies, which obviously is a banger, but then deck the halls and visions of Laura waving me knickers round <laughs> as, she, <laughs> as she helps me fold the washing. Again, this seems to be at least partially by choice, Samantha. <laughs> It's less by choice because Laura imposed it upon the entire house. Literally on the Alexa, full blast, and then somehow she managed to send it to all of the Alexas, which are in every room (laughs) of the house. So then we all, plus the neighbours, got to enjoy Deck the Horse by Glee. I'm kind of loving it. I like the fact that Laura has managed to convince you that she doesn't know how she played it on every speaker. (laughs) Yeah. Defo does. She 100% knows. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, let's talk about our favourite Christmas songs. And as it is your debut appearance on Album Class Shell, would you like to lead us off with your first choice, please? Right, so when when Tim asked me to do this, I was kind of like racking my brains because every year I make a Christmas playlist. And this isn't the sort of song that I thought, oh yeah, absolutely, it's got to go on there. But it's a song that I invariably put first on whatever Christmas list I'm making. And it's Slade. And I love it because for me, this, this song was made in 1973, but in the, in the kind of Midlands and the north of England, 1973 didn't actually happen till about 1986. <laughs> so it represents actually my Christmases when, when I was a kid. So I look at this and I look at the shit tinsel and the bad haircuts and the really, really bad jumpers and I go, yep, there was 1989 in my household. It's cheap, it's crap. It's full of cheap booze and and people dancing around with too many chairs and trying to fit everyone in um, because our houses are too small for everybody. And it's just great. I love it. I love it. So it's quite an interesting story. It was kind of actually originally based on like a psychedelic vocal song, which Noddy had written back in like the 60s. But he decided to convert after he went out drinking one night. And this whole look to the future line, which is a very cool line, I I was really like that, was about the times that Britain were kind of experiencing. And I think that's that's really quite resolute now at the moment. There's, There's something going on where Britain, I think, feels very similar in it in its kind of political outlook and everyone's a wee bit pissed off with the the stuff that's going on and but yeah, I th- I think there's something about that that tune and that kind of need for just getting a bit pissed and and just having a good laugh and you know kind of unashamedly cheering people up and sometimes that can only come from something quite bleak actually and I think this song was written in, in that kind of time and it really resonates with me I guess. Also, it's it's got one of like the most iconic openings for any Christmas song like. Noddy Holder screaming, it's Christmas. You know that song straight away. To be clear, that's that's at the end, not the start, but you know. <laughs> Is it not at the start? No, it's no, right it, at the it, end, dickhead. It, it's about two even person. listen to these songs for the fucking joke, Ed? What's Christmas again? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you describe the tacky jumpers and too much tinsel i mean you're basically describing our christmas issue with our tacky 80s theme yeah bless you bless you but you know that that is thing though isn't it it it, it was tacky and it was very 80s but this this song was released in 1973 but i think we were still there in in the north of england in the midlands whatever until yeah we were definitely stuck there 1990 (laughs) yeah we all had bad jumpers we probably still do waitrose was not a thing um, <laughs> so, you know. so, right, I'm really glad you said about the memories that it evokes. So, part of me wants to hate this song. That part is the part that remembers having to help me mum hang up really threadbare shit 70s Christmas decorations <laughs> while she had her Christmas mixtape on. Yes. On repeat. And this Ooh. was like the first song on it. Because it's the first song. That's exactly. the thing. Everybody yeah. puts it as the first song. And so a part of me really wants to go, no, this is shit. Yeah, it's but it's not. It's not. Is it? It's an absolute belter. Yeah. It is. Come on. And what I want to say about it is that this song is a belter. Wizards, um, I wish it could be Christmas every day, can fuck off because it's fucking shite. Disagree. That's a They're little controversial, belters. but this beats it. I'm this just going to say. Yeah. yeah, like Slade and the Wizards song, it always reminds me of living in our first house and my mum had these really tacky 
Christmas plastic Santas that she'd had since the early 80s. And every year would have a fight between the plastic Santa, (laughs) the blue tack and the door. (laughs) And we all used to place bets on how long before she ended up giving up and just lashing them back in the box. But every year with the Christmas mixtape on, she would try and put them Santas up. Yeah, it's about the journey, Sam. It's the journey. So my explanation about the Wizards call is I'd be fine with the song if Roy Wood wasn't rolled out every fucking year on like the one show or something to do like a karaoke version just to remind everyone that the song still exists to keep himself relevant. He did a Wombles version of the same fucking song. (laughs) That's why I don't like it. And Slade never did that. Excuse me, you don't have to diss the Wombles. My God, so just I want to I like to talk about the music even on these fucking stupid shows. <laughs> um, there's a lovely stomp along drum rhythm which sort of again I spoke about this when we did um, Phil Spector the other week. It sort of evokes clip clop of reindeer hooves the way it. Just dun, 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 dun. Anyway, uh, there's some fantastic guitar licks from Dave Wood's say, guitar. The, I think it's the guitar. Song. Some really yeah. good guitar work from, from Dave Wood. But it, that's what goes back to that whole psychedelic thing. This yeah, this yeah. was originally written in the 60s in a psychedelic song, and then they, they added the lyrics to later. So you can you can hear that in it. Mm, definitely. Can, especially in the guitar riffs, I yeah, think. Yeah, 100%. Dave Wood, can we just say, shit hair, good guitarist. It is. It's pure 70s glam. It is, yeah. It is. It's fun and it's silly and... Like you said, Sam, it's in every mum's Christmas album list that they put the tacky decks up to. Yep. And and I think that that's why I chose it. Not because it's my favourite ever and I think or I think it's musically the best, just because it makes me smile. And every time I put this list together, it always goes to number one because it's Christmas <laughs> It's you know, yeah. Fantastic. We'd put the baubles on the tree as children. Our mums would take them back down and put them back up in a coordinated manner. <laughs> yes. That still happens in our house. Yep. That, that's the right way to do <laughs> this. It's in our house and we don't have children in it. It's just Kev. <laughs> The, the only ones, the only baubles that don't get moved are the ones that Shell can't reach. <laughs> the top of the tree. He thinks that, but I have a chair. <laughs> so what it what it reminds me of in terms of putting uh, stuff on the tree is the candy canes or the Cadbury's um, the Cadbury's deckies which I would then just spend my time eating rather than putting anything on the tray. <laughs> I can confirm this yeah. because <laughs> year, I've just bought Kev a box of the little chocolates and I sat him in the corner whilst <laughs> I decorated the tree so he wouldn't be in my way. Can we just say, though, chocolate Santas can fuck off. Why are you hollow? Make me a solid chocolate Santa that is nine inches tall, you please. Break your bloody teeth, Tim. I was going to say, like... <laughs> If you wanted to stop a burglar, like a Home Alone style coming in, then it's just him with a, with a solid chocolate Santa. No, I'm sorry. I'm not having these hollow fucking... No, I want a solid chocolate Santa, please. Do you know what, though? I wouldn't be grateful for a hollow or a solid chocolate Santa. The very market chocolate. Market chocolate. chocolate. Oh, yeah. yeah, they are. Yeah. It's, like, it's yeah. like the one-pound advent calendars. Mm-hmm. They taste shit. Yeah, they but do get taste the lint shit. ones... Or what you, I did this year for my kids, because I'm that sad middle-class mother, was I made my own involving little bags that I hand-decorated every single one of. 
what I will say about that advent calendar is it's pure scout leader. Right. Definitely. Okay, you can cut me open. I'd bleed scout leader. Did you do like the Blue Peter like uh, tinsel crown thing with the uh, candles on it? No, because my dad wouldn't let me because my dad was a health and safety inspector because, because it, was it was a, a fire, fire hazard. hazard. Therefore, my dad... Made yeah, stick, me stick a fucking a... load of candles on yeah. your fake Christmas tree. With tinsel as as kindling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think my dad would let me do that? Um, can we just so going back to shit market chocolate? Uh, it's still not as bad as Hershey's chocolate, which is disgusting. It tastes like sick. Yes, it does. It tastes like vomit. Sorry, Americans, your chocolate is shit. Yeah, they all say that, though, to be fair. So, my friend sent me from America a huge box of American food, and in it was original Hershey's chocolate, and I smelled it, and it smelled like absolute vomit. But then I ate it, and it didn't taste like vomit. It didn't taste as good as our chocolate, but, you know. It tastes like dog chocolate. Have you ever tasted dog chocolate? <laughs> no, because Believe I'm not it or not, dog. Sharon, I've, I have. Never, I've never tasted <laughs> Have you not? Dog right, because I did... We, me and Di, you take the dog out, and and I'm and like, you, and I you nibble did... on the dog's chocolate buttons. Yes, yeah, because yeah, you know, I just want to know what it like tastes a like. Euphemism. No, no, there would be nibbling on the dog's chocolate there, Kev. <laughs> there was no euphemisms at all, and I was like, I want to taste the dog's chocolate, and it was minging, but it didn't taste dissimilar to Hershey's chocolate bar, so I actually think they're one and the same. Anyway, as the person who is responsible for editing this shit together, <laughs> getting out for Christmas Day. Shell, do you have anything else to say about Merry Christmas, everyone? I do, Tim. It went straight to the number one, um, and it sold over 300,000 copies on the first day. Uh, eventually, over a million copies, which, you know, isn't bad for a brand from Brummy. Performance rights PRS for music um, estimate that nearly 50% of the Earth's population has heard that song. I thought that was a very <laughs> cool fact. You know, basically, wow. does not matter where you hit, where you live, you will have heard Slade, and also it beat Wizard. We were talking about Wizard a little bit early on. It beat Wizard. It was the same year, nineteen seventy three. Indeed, I wish it could be Christmas. Yep. You know what a year for Christmas music. So yes, factoid over. Can I just do some covers as I you know like to do? Okay. So it's one of those. It's been covered loads of times, uh, including by The Cure. Yeah, it wasn't good. Steps really wasn't good. Tony Christie. Yeah, not good. Girls Aloud. Yeah, that wasn't good. Cheap Trick. Don't remember that one. Train. Nope, definitely don't remember that one. Uh, Oasis for the Royal Family Christmas Special. That's a good version. That's no one's version's good. good. Fuck no, off. it's not. It is. Uh, and most bizarrely of all, well, you can see it in front of you, so you can't say it. Kev, have a guess. Sam, have a guess. You ain't getting it. Jacodema Suppliers. No, more that bizarre. Would, that would be better. Spice Girls. No. R.E.M. <laughs> really? Yes, R.E.M. have covered this. Well, there you go. I bet that's a bleak version. I was going to say, I can't imagine Michael Stack going, It's Christmas! <laughs> right, shall we get a score in this song before we move on? Obviously a 10 for everybody, because it's awesome. Uh, okay, what's Shell, do you want to go first? Are you sticking with a 10? No, actually I'm not. I'm probably going to go for a 9. 9 out of 10 for Shell. Fine. Sam, what are you going Seven. It's a bit harsh, Sam. Just saying. Nah, fam. I want to win. Bitch! <laughs> I'm taking you down. <laughs> I'm joking. I, I give it a seven because it annoys me as much as it gives me memories. No, fair enough. Kev, what about you? I'm going an eight. And I, I'm going to agree with you, Kev. I think eight out of ten. As I said, much as I want to hate this song, I can't. It's great. Eight out of ten. It's a belter. It's just not the best. Yeah, that's how I feel. So what does that give Merry Christmas Everybody by Slade? 
what, do I have to add them up and do an average? Are we talking mean mean average? Do you want a range? <laughs> Median or mode? I am a teacher. <laughs> How much does Tim never want it's me to come back again? 32. 32 out 32. of 40. 32 out of 40. That's what it gets. Okay. So, on to the next song. And uh, Sam, as you are also our guest, would you like to have the next pick? I will. So, I picked Run Run Rudolph by Chuck Berry. I picked this song because me and Kev got a puppy, right? And we called her Toots Peach. She's gorgeous. Anyway, on Christmas Day, me and Toots are going to do a performance. (laughs) So, this is why I picked it, because me and Toots have been listening to it every single day and I feel like it's just a banger and it reminds me of all the old films like Home Alone and stuff like that it just takes me back to my childhood Sam you just made us all feel about 409 thanks for that darling that's not an old film (laughs) shut up we hate you (laughs) I'm so confused it was when did it come out I mean Tim to be fair it's 30 years old yeah yeah yeah, but yeah. but the way it's Sam said that, me. yeah. But we thought you were going to say like it's a wonderful life <laughs> from 1950, whatever. You just came out there with a film made in 1990. Cheers, Sam. Okay, so Home Alone One was three years before I was born. That came out in again. We hate you. It's your problem, not ours. Home Alone Two came out in 1992. I still wasn't born. Yeah. Again, your still problem, hating you. Not ours. So it's an old film. It's old. It's ancient. Yeah, can we delete some scenes from this podcast, please? <laughs> Don't hate me because you hate me. <laughs> so it's a bang. It is a bang. So I, I very nearly chose Run Rudolph Run. I think it's a fucking great song. I love Chuck Berry, despite his. Um, I was going to say, well, yeah. he's the original guitar icon, Chuck Berry. So I mean, he is. He really is. I can't help but dance around the kitchen. I mean, it is. It's it's like it's a classic. It's a classic blues riff, and it's sim. It's similar to Johnny Be Good. Oh, I love a bit of Johnny Be Good. Reminds me of Back to the Future. Sam, where did you? When did you first hear Run Rudolph Run? So I first heard it in Home Alone when I was little. Oh, shut up! Well, the, to, to be fair, Shell. So we were only nine when Home Alone came out. So I actually think that's probably the first time I heard it as well yeah. was in Home Alone. So it's in the scene where they're mm. running through the airport. The airport, yeah, so, and they miss and yeah. Macaulay Culkin. It's, it's perfectly pitched in that scene. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. As you say, it's perfectly pitched for that scene. The rhythm, the tempo to it and everything. It is perfect for trying to leg it through an airport to get to a gate on time. It's also perfect to dance around the kitchen too. With your dog. You, with me dog. <laughs> you just can't help but feel good when you listen yeah. to the song. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Um, but why is Chuck Berry bad? Well. <laughs> so for, so Chuck Berry, uh, he was charged with uh, assaulting a woman in 1987 at a hotel in New York. He also, well, he accepted a class action settlement against several women yeah. for... Filming them in the bathroom. Yeah, and he stuck a camera in the in the box so he could. Ah, uh... uh, dirty pervert. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That is disgusting. Well, I didn't know that about him. Otherwise, I wouldn't have picked this song. Oh, no, oh, so, no, no. So this is an interesting like, point. The song, is st- the song is still great. Exactly. This is an interesting point because you know, man versus music. And Tim and I talk about this when we talk about poetry. One of my favourite poets was an absolute prat as a person. But my goodness, his poetry was amazing. And this is two minutes and forty odd seconds of of fantastic music. And he was 
a brilliant guitarist. And as you said, the chord structure is very similar to, um, you know, a few of his hits, actually, not just that one, but he was a phenomenal guitarist and he brought rock and roll, actually. And I think his legacy sort of lays on. Was he an absolute pillock of a man? Yeah, pretty much from everything I've read. But that doesn't take away from the fact that he wrote some absolute corkers that you've got to dance around to. And, you know, Rudolph is definitely one of them. Well, we've, we've talked about on the pod before several, you know, John Lennon, Iggy Pop, Michael Jackson, obviously. So without trudging over old ground, there is an extent to which one can, not should, you know, but one can separate the art from the artist. And I think this is one of those occasions, yeah, really. No, definitely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. This, this is one of my favourite Christmas songs. I, I love it. I have uh, a couple of facts, if I may, Sam. Yeah, go on, because I ain't got any. <laughs> so Chuck Berry recorded it in 1958. It was released on Chess Records. It reached number 69 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 9 on the Billboard Holiday 100 chart. But the main thing I wanted to talk about is there is some debate over the authorship of the song. Ooh, I also found this out. Sorry. So it was originally credited to Chuck Berry and Johnny Marks. Anyone that listened to our Christmas Clash will remember that Johnny Marks wrote Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah. And this is very much seen as a sequel, if you like, to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, obviously. However, latterly, and on subsequent releases, and certainly on all cover versions that have been released, it is credited to Johnny Marks and Marvin Brody. So it is not clear whether Chuck Berry had any involvement in the writing of this song or not. Okay, so yeah, because I, I kind of looked at the same thing. So obviously, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Christmas can't be patented, but Rudolph can, basically. And so Johnny Marks, um, who wrote the Rudolph song, was was had to be credited with the song. Mm-hmm. And um, he got most of the copyright. But there's an interesting thing in there about Randolph. So if you listen to the original kind of Johnny Marks song, it's, like, you know, Dancer and Prancer and Comet and Vixen and all the other ones. There's no Randolph. But um, in that song, there's a Randolph uh, who's who's a reindeer. and um, Is there a Mortimer as well? There's no Mortimer, no. Shut up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but there's... A, there's I watched Trading Places yesterday. <laughs> Okay, no one cares. But anyway, so yeah, there's um there's a different thing. So it's a lot of kind of a thing because there was a song later on about Randolph the Christmas Reindeer and that was okay. So yeah, it's quite interesting though, the way that copyright works. Um, And they never got the copyright for it because the publishing rights all went to Johnny Marks apparently because of Rudolph. Well, there you go. Bloody hell, you two researched it more than I did. Uh, I've got one more. It was covered amongst others by Dave Grohl and Lemmy. <laughs> Dave Grohl? No, no, Dave Grohl and Lemmy, it's one version. Oh, right, okay. okay. It's not very good. I've never, I've never no, heard I've to it. listen to yeah. that. It's, uh, it ain't Chuck Berry, that's all I'm going to say. Well, the thing is, is that as, as Sam sort of pointed out, is that the Chuck Berry one's got like such a, a lightness to it and a, yeah. a, there's a there's like a joy to it. Oh God, yeah, definitely. I think you're right, Sam, is that you, you put it on and you can't help but start dancing around the kitchen it's a really feel-good song, which is what a Christmas song should be, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And it takes you back to your childhood and it reminds you of iconic films. Yeah. It's definitely. just an all-round banger. Okay, any more for any more? Or shall we get to scoring? I think we should score. Scores on the doors. 10 out of 10. Shout out to the doors. It is a banger. You can't deny it. 
It is a banger. But is it a perfect song? A hundred percent. Okay. It's got a good length. Toots gives it a ten as well. <laughs> just Kev having his say in that, Sam. Kev, just, what just is ask your him. score? <laughs> My score, I'm going to give it a nine. Okie dokie. Timothy? So I'm also, sorry, it's just going to sound ridiculous. I'm also going to give it a nine. I'm not just going to copy you right. away through. So Kevin. basically, <laughs> McKev should not do this podcast because they agree on almost yeah. everything. Do you need to change the name? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's album discussion. Like we've already talked no, about that. No. <laughs> album chat. Yes! <laughs> May I finish my point, please? No. Right, what's your score? So I'm giving it nine. I'm giving it nine. I'm giving it nine out of ten because I actually do think it's a perfect pop song, but. Chuck Berry definitely deserves the knobhead tax, hence it gets 9 out of 10. Mm, I feel like maybe I should deduct a point as well, to yes, be honest. Yes, I think you should, Sam, just because well, it, was no. a, it was a bit of a misogynist. <laughs> no, I think you should, uh, sorry. Did you become just I have the pen! Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Never mess with the girl with the pen. Um, I'm, I want to put sort of an eight or a nine because I'm also kind of going, it's the same song as lots of other songs that he wrote. And I love it. I really love it. But it's the same song. It's literally the same chord structure. I mean, all of Chuck Berry's songs. The same are... chord structure. Yeah. I know. And I can't, I can't, that annoys okay, me. Fine. I'm sorry. But I really love it. I'm not dissing all, the song. All, all I would say is try and put yourself... In well, 1960. It's 1958. So you're talking, well, I would because Little Richard getting, was there and I love Little Richard. Years ago I don't give a monkey as Little Richard was there. I mean, there. if you're talking about people Little with Richard. dodgy <laughs> backstories, okay, I'm not holding him up as any... Yeah, all right. Not exactly moral, but... oh, oh. And songs that all sound the same. Yeah, Great songs, yes, but... <laughs> I love Little Richard, though. I can't help it. Also, what, who's... Oh, um, the guy that died in the plane crash. Buddy Holly, the yeah, Big Bopper, and Richie Valens. Well, all of them. They were amazing. And yeah, but many other people. So there was lots of very cool music. What score are you giving out of 10? I'm going to go 8. Can I give it 8.5? You're probably not yeah, going to... give it 8.5. I'm going to give it 8.5. Okay. So what 8. does... 8.5. What does that give us then for... 8.5 add 9 add 9 add 9. So 4 9s are 36. It's 35 and a half. Half, yeah. Is it the current leader then? Yes, it mm-hmm. is. Quite comfortably, actually. Yeah, Three it's, and a half it's shitting on my slide. I'm not happy. <laughs> she shat on your slide. <laughs> shat on my slide. <laughs> How Chuck rude. Chuck bang into that. I know. And he hadn't got a fucking crappy jumper on, had he? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, at least he wasn't singing about my dingling. Dingling always reminds me of The Simpsons. Yes. <laughs> My dingling. Yes, <laughs> That's enough of yeah. that. <laughs> yes. Obligatory Simpsons records. Obligatory Simpsons Yeah, you've got to do it. Okay, Kev, do you want to go next with your first choice? Yeah, I'll go next. Go on then. So my first choice is the Elton John banger, Step Into Christmas. So before I make my make my case, I have a couple of facts about it. So released as a standalone single in November 1973, Good Year for Christmas songs. With the B song, with the B song, with the B side. I love this. Ho, 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 who'd be a turkey at Christmas? <laughs> I love this. I love that. I found that fact as well. I was like, I think that's why it didn't get to number one, just because of that. Um, well, it got very far away from number one. It so did. It was a The original release only reached number 24 in the UK. And when it was subsequently released, re-released in 2019, reached a peak of number eight. And I've always felt that this song, whilst is on the the strong Christmas rotation, it's like an overshadowed banger. Definitely agreed. It is. 
Stepping back, a similar thing on the charts is true on the other side of the Atlantic. On its initial release, it only reached number 84 on the Billboard Holiday 100 chart. And then again, on the re-release in 2019, it reached number one uh, Billboard Christmas Songs chart. So overlooked on both sides of the Atlantic. Because of the turkey. So I, d- I think there's a thing to be said that the early mid-70s was something of a golden period for Christmas songs. And maybe that does hark back a little bit to what we were saying about Slade, is that it's your mum's Christmas compilation tape, isn't it? Well, it was like bands actually did, like made a proper effort with Christmas songs. Yeah. Back, mm, back then. I it's, think so. yeah. it's not really sort of the... Do- well, because obviously, like, I think this year the battle is between a variety of sort of charity singles and stuff like that. Whereas, like, a sort of proper artist had a big old scrap, didn't they? I, I do. Oh, I, love, I love the way Kev screwed his face up when he said charity singles. Fucking <laughs> 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 benevolent pricks. Well, the sausage, the fella singing about sausage rolls. Yeah, but he, excuse me, he gives every penny, he doesn't take profit, it all goes to the Trussell Trust. Which, fair, fair, yeah, enough. fair enough. Yeah, but, get back up. Yeah, yeah. But the songs are still shined. Yeah. And I think that's the difference, actually, because I, I think back to that golden age, and I, I I know it's ridiculous, but it's the politics of it. Life was pretty fucking hard back in the early 70s, mid-70s, and I think people really genuinely wanted to go out there and make a difference and make something fun because Christmas is the time we all got together as a family and, you know, we didn't have COVID then. Yay. But it was that kind of one thing. And I, I do think that's coming back in a strange way. It's just that the music's crap and it's all Gareth Malone. Um, Who? Gareth Malone? No? Who's... Oh, my God, you people. Who's Gareth Malone when he's at home? Right, Sam, seriously. You... Gareth Malone, you look him up. up some fella. No! I'm Googling him. He is a chap, a very nice chap, actually. He's on on Christmas Day, or, or Christmas Eve, I think, doing the Christmas choirs. He did the Military Wives Choir. He's a, he's a very nice oh, guy. That dickhead, yeah. He's not a dickhead, to be fair. Well, didn't he do all them, like, yes, um, probably. musical choir TV yes, talent shows? Yes, like, because yeah. he's a very good arranger of music. I've Googled him and I still haven't got a clue who he is. No. No, we don't know who he is. So can I just posit a slightly more cynical viewpoint? It's that a lot of these artists realise that if you get a banging Christmas song, then you've got royalties coming in every fucking year. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to release one. <laughs> What's it going to be called? Cheese. <laughs> Christmas cheese. No, fam, cheese. I'm just going to call it cheese. Cheese. <laughs> okay. So just to return us briefly back to step into Christmas. Yeah, please so do. the the recording technique it was it was deliberately designed to have a sound in homage to an album that we've discussed before the Phil Spector Christmas album. So it's got that just a bit. It's got that <laughs> yeah, wall of sound, it's got that echo to it and it is it is absolutely Phil Spector but done glam. Absolutely quite right. Yeah. So you yeah, the, the wall of sound echo, the reverb that's come on everything, the, the backing vocals to the choral sound to the backing vocals. Do you vocals. know who did that? No, I don't. It's uncredited, but it was Kiki D. Oh, well, there you go. So, Sam, when did you come across um, this song? Gavin and Stacey. <laughs> I, I, I'd heard it before. I'd heard it before, but it wasn't ever on my family's rotor of Christmas songs. It was never on the Christmas playlist. So I'd heard it on the radio through the years, but you know, you just don't really pay mm-hmm. attention. And so when it come on Gavin and Stacey, you started singing it more, which obviously mm-hmm. then I started listening to it more. And now it's in our Christmas yeah, yeah. playlist. Yeah, I think that's true for a lot of people. Even if I do get the lyrics wrong. 
Oh, so yes, uh, Sam does have a tendency to, if she's not sure of the words, invent her own, <laughs> her own version. It's my mega mix, and it's better than the original. Like, do you want to say? Do you, well, you do the step into Christmas. So step into Christmas. Step into Christmas. We'll see the snow fall forever and ever. Cheese and grapes and a couple of biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done that. Tim. I've never done that. To be I, fair, I that just... probably is better. <laughs> Cheese, grapes, and a couple of biscuits. That's brilliant. <laughs> Do you know, I am now forevermore going to see. Couple of biscuits. Because you've got to do it with the passion as well. Yeah. Cheese and grapes and, and a couple, couple of biscuits. biscuits. <laughs> Step into Christmas because the chutney's free. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, not only is it a belter, but. It's got improved lyrics now. That's my pitch. (laughs) Elton John, you need any tips? Give me a call. (laughs) New Bernie Taupin. The last thing I want to say on the song, which gives it extra Christmas song points, is it's got great use of sleigh bells and tubular bells in the breakdown. Tubular bells. He did it in the video. And that guitar riff is brilliant. It is. And right at the end, the... Bass is fucking brilliant. Yes. Like proper bass walking going on at the end. Yep. All right, should we should we score? Okay. I have my pen. Okay, your pick, Kev, you go first. It's an absolute belter. It's not the best Christmas song ever because I've already uh, discussed what that is um on the previous pod. So I'm gonna go nine and a half. It's a fucking belter. Okay. I mean, I, I do find it quite strange that at least two of you have not chosen your favourite Christmas song for our favourite Christmas songs. Because proper. you nicked it. And it's both <laughs> mine and Kev's favourite Christmas song and you'd already bloody done it. It's not very helpful. Sorry. I couldn't I couldn't do mine because we've discussed it the week before yeah. and it would be pointless. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's true. <laughs> and, and it's the same song that I love, so shut up. Okay, Sam, what are you going? Nine and a half. Oh. Because it would be a nine, but then my mega mix... <laughs> Pushes it up that point five. It's, it's the cheese biscuit. Oh, cheese cheese grapes. and grapes. And a couple of biscuits. And a couple of biscuits. It's, it's a cheese bowl. Step into Christmas because the chutney's free. <laughs> okay. There you go. Sam and Tim have written alternative lyrics and that pushes it to nine and a half. Timothy. Uh, nine out of ten. Uh, it's not better than Chuck Berry, but it is an absolute banger. So nine out of ten. I'm going to go nine as well. So that gives us four nine at 36 plus half and a half is 37. 37 out of 40. I think that's going to take some beating, you know. I do as so. Right, Tim, is it your choice? Yeah, it is. My turn. My first pick is Who Took the Merry Out of Christmas by the Staple Singers. So why have I chosen this song? Unlike most of what we've talked about so far, there's no sentimental connection to it. It's just an absolute fucking banger. (laughs) That's why I've chosen it. I love this song. So I first discovered it only in 2017, and it was because it was used for House of Fraser's Christmas ad campaign. Really? That's the first time I'd heard this song. It was one of those, oh my God, what is this song? Get Shazam out right now. What is it? There you go. So yeah, it's not not one where I have, I say, a particular emotion or or sentimental connection. I just think it's fucking brilliant. It's the Staple Sisters. So, you know, they're absolutely wailing in it. And it's, you know, they're great, the Staple Sisters. A personal favourite. And it is is a great Christmas song. Is that right? <laughs> I wouldn't put it on my router. It's not going on your router. It's not going on my playlist, nah. So what I like about it, you've got a great melody, 
which is sung in a really sort of gospel style, especially with the backing vocals, the harmonies that come in, you know. But as well as that, you've got some really subtle but really, really powerful guitar licks, which are played by the Staples elder, Roebuck Pops Staples, incidentally. And then you've just got a brass section throughout, which is, again, quite simple, but it just brings the funk all the way through it. It's This is such a great R&B Christmas song. It's brilliant. I love it. Sorry, Sam, you're talking shite. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good funky tune. I like, I like the tune, I do, but it just doesn't resonate Christmas song with me. But I think that's because I generally go for much more upbeat Christmas songs. Yeah, I, t- I suppose it's got a much more mellow vibe to it. Yeah. Yeah. It has, until you get to the end, where you got the, who took the Mary out of Christmas? That is very true. So it kicks up a gear at the end, but I understand what you're saying. What do you think, Shell? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, when I saw this, I went, oh, okay, that's an interesting choice, because it's not the sort of thing I would go, oh, yeah, absolutely, put that on the players. But as you say, it's funky. It's really funky. There's a lot of gospel in there. And and it does kick up a gear. So, you know, it's it's an interesting choice. And I I was kind of like, oh, okay. But no, it's good. It's good. I'm sorry. I haven't got a lot to say about this one. I was like, right, this was a bit of a curveball. So, some facts, as I always do. So, it was featured originally on the Staple Singer's 1969 album, We'll Get Over, released on Stax Records. Uh, it was originally released as a single the following year, 1970. It did okay on its original release, but a re-release in 1973 actually saw it peak at number two on the Billboard Holiday Songs chart in December of that year. The lead vocal is sung, as many Staples singers' songs were, by Mavis Staples. It is not her only Christmas song. Can anyone tell me what else she recorded as a Christmas song? Was it uh, the Run DMC Christmas song? (laughs) Uh, no, but you're not as far away as certainly in time as you think you might be. <laughs> it was she. He's seventeen. She performed the title track for the 1989 Chevy Chase vehicle, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that film. I've never seen it. It's I not have. good. It's not good. Don't bother. But it's kind of ironic that she performed that song. So. Given that some of the opening lyrics, in fact, for Who Took Mary Out of Christmas were Who Took the Mary Out of Christmas? People all over the world forgot about Mary. Too busy buying toys, learning about Santa's joy, making believe he was just another baby boy. That's a song raiding against the consumerism of Christmas. And then she recorded this this song to go with the soundtrack of the National Lampoon's Christmas film, so... Yeah. Well, you know, obviously the royalties checks might have dried up a little bit. For... Yeah, you've got, you've got to earn money, haven't you? You've got to earn a dollar. No, absolutely. So this is a, well, it's kind of a forgotten Christmas song. There's very little information available on the interwebs about it. And as I say, until I saw it in that House of Fraser advert, I'd never heard it and I may not have ever discovered it it's got good at gospel. all. So, so yeah, it's, um, but it's great. I uh, I love it. Uh, it has been covered. Okay. It has been covered twice, including by Darlene Love. I love Darlene Love. Ah, okay. I haven't covered Darlene Love tonight because you buggers all did it. <laughs> Not that I'm bitter. All right, should we do scoring? Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, this is going to sound strange as it is my choice, but I'm going to score it uh, an 8 out of 10, so lower than I've scored the previous two songs. I really, really like this, but it is not as good as Chuck Berry or Elton John. So a very solid 8 out of 10 for me. Okay. Kev? So uh, it's a nice, mellow Christmas song. It's, it's got the Staple Sisters on it, and Mavis Staple singing is always a good thing. But it's not the most exciting Christmas song. I think Sam is right about that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go come down on a seven and a half out of ten. Okay. Shit bag. <laughs> and Samantha. So I'd never heard this Christmas song before. This was the first time that I heard it. And it did it just didn't draw me in. It it doesn't mean I don't appreciate the phenomenal voices on the track. The song itself just didn't grip me. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna be fair, I'm gonna give it a six and a half. Fuck off, Sam. Out of ten. <laughs> I thought that was fair. I gave seven to Slade and I Yeah, I you did, you bitch. I'm not not recovered from that. Um <laughs> I'm gonna go for seven out of ten as well because I was like, oh okay, random choice, but there was a bit of gospel that I love at the beginning, so that's quite cool. So that gives us six and a half, seven, seven and eight. Twenty nine. Twenty nine out of forty. So it's, it, I mean, it's very, very clearly in last place. And you know, fair enough. There's a lot of songs I wanted to pick, but I wanted to go with something yeah. uh, a little bit out of left field. Yeah. And, no. Well, um, you'd already nicked all mine choices, so you know, with Darling Love, you kind of basically nailed me out the floor. So we've got in last place Tim's choice twenty nine out of forty. After that, my choice Slade with thirty two out of forty, and then after that we've got Run Run Rudolph thirty five and a half out of forty, which was Sam's choice, and then leading is Kev's Step Into Christmas Elton John thirty seven out of forty. Which, as I say, I think that's going to take some beating. Hmm. I do, but I also like to think that, you know, my next choice will float out of the water. (laughs) Just saying. So, at the halfway stage, Elton John is leading the way. Uh, Will anyone topple him in the second half? Let's find out. Shall we do the same order second time around? Yeah, let's go. Yep. Okay, Shell, up to you. Second choice. Okay. My second choice is Fairytale in New York by the Pogues and featuring Kirsten McCall. And um, I don't know, why did I choose this? Is there a more emotive song than this? I don't, I don't think there is. Because actually, most Christmases are not wonderful fairyland or singing in snow stuff. Actually, it's families falling out, it's people hurting each other, and it's not that great, actually, for a lot of people. It's evocative, it's emotive, and my goodness me, you can when Kirsty sings some of that stuff, and when Shane sings it too, you you can just hear this vitriol and this this relationship gone sour. You know, the singers really go at it. You know, this is a song that's always up there. This is a song that a lot of people say is their favourite song. It's a song that people love, and I think that resonates to a lot of people because Christmas isn't amazing for a lot of people. I'm going to have a slight disagreement with you. In the, I don't necessarily necessarily view. It's more like a a slightly tragic love song. Like you know, the Shane McGowan character. Obviously, he absolutely adores her. He's just a drunk, and he he may be a scumbag, but um, he took her dreams and took them with him. That's how, that's how I view it anyway. Yeah, in his head though, it, that's the thing. This is what I love about the song is that in his head, that's what he did. But for her, it's totally different. Because, you know, he says himself, she's the queen of New York. She's she's amazing. I, th- I don't think, I mean, it is a love song gone sour, but I, and that's why I love the song, because it kind of exposes the underbelly of all the Christmas stuff 
that actually it's pretty shit for a lot of people. And, and I like that. I kind of agree with both of you. What I mean by that is, if this is one of those instances where it's okay to read whatever resonates with you into a song. So yeah, the song is about exactly as you said, Kev. It's about a relationship between two down and outs, let's say, gone sour. But there's bigger meaning to it in the way it resonates with people. So Sam, like, do you have a do you have a view on this? Right, so I'm going to lift it up a bit here because I don't feel that deep about this song personally, but I just love giving it beans in the kitchen when Kirsty's screaming at him. It is it is that proper, like, kind of love-hate relationship thing going on. They love each other, but, like, they do each other's heads in as well. But is that not the beauty of this song that I think almost everybody, it doesn't matter whether you're Irish or Irish descent or... I don't know, whatever. I think that most people, no matter how old, how young, whatever the background, there's there's a sense that that love hate thing. It just it just crosses many boundaries for me because, as I say, Christmas isn't all snowdrifts and let's all sing along. Sometimes it's people really piss each other off at this time of year, and and I love that about this because I don't think there's many Christmas songs that really get out there and represent just how much we can bugger each other up. And fuck each other off at this time of year. So Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, it's a very, it's a very stressful time of year. Mm-hmm. I think Shell's right. She hit the nail on the head. A lot of people spend too much money that they that they don't have, and get themselves into debt. And it's very keeping up with the Joneses, and that can mm-hmm. cause huge strains on relationships. And I do think I know I laughed before saying I love it when Kirsty goes off, but I do think it does hone into a lot of people that it can be quite. Um, a trying time of year for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it is so loved by so many people. I don't know anyone that doesn't like this song. Can we talk about the lyrics, please? Yeah. So I'm just going to read the offending verse. You're an old slut on junk, lying there almost dead on a drip in that bed. You scumbag, you maggot, you cheap, lousy, homophobic, F of that beginning with F. Happy Christmas, your ass! I pray God it's our last. So you've got slut shaming, and then you've got, as we said, a homophobic epithet there. It's it it's not great. Nope, it isn't. But it is very in keeping with that yeah. section of the song. And and uh, I mean, what's worse, it's like you slut on junk. Yeah, that slut's fine. You can't use these words against people. They're just awful, awful words. And. Uh, it is what it is, right? It's crap. We shouldn't use any of them. But to say that something that was written 30 years ago, it, I don't know, it's, it's really strong. If I was recording this song today, would I use any of those words? No, I wouldn't. And I don't think anybody else would. Well, it's funny that you say that because Ed Sheeran and Anne-Marie released a new version of the song in 2018. I bet that was fucking awful. Well, they changed the lyrics to be more appropriate, which regardless of what you think of the singers or whatever, I think that it speaks to, it speaks volumes of how far society has grown and how far we've come as a society to realise and accept You can't use those. You can't just say Mm -hmm. whatever the fuck you want to anyone you want to and he changed the lyrics to you're a bum you're a punk you're an old cut on junk lying there almost dead yeah and this is the thing we, we've seen this a lot there's a few sort of songs out there 
And I know you're going to talk about one of them later, which has got some interesting lyrics. You know what? Yeah. This this is it. This is the, they are speaking their language of that time, and we we are fortunately awakened to the fact that actually some of this shit is just not on, and and we've changed it, and that's yeah. okay. So there's a couple of things I'd like to read. So firstly, in 2018, when he was challenged about the song, Shane McGowan said, and this is particularly about the use of the the homophobic epithet. And you are right, to be fair, Shell, is that why should that yeah. be a homophobic epithet, epithet when we... Well, slut is yeah, not a female epithet. It's a but bunch it is. of You're right. each so other. A, a very fair Sorry. challenge, that, actually. Anyway, Shane McGowan said, the word was used by the character because it fitted with the way she would speak and with her character. She is not supposed to be a nice person or even a wholesome person. She's a woman of a certain generation at a certain time in history. And she's down on her luck and desperate. Her dialogue is as accurate as I could make it, but she's not intended to offend. She's just supposed to be an authentic character, and not all characters in songs and stories are angels or even decent and respectable. Sometimes characters in songs and stories have to be evil or nasty to tell the story effectively. If people don't understand that I was trying to accurately portray the character as authentically as possible, then I am absolutely fine with them bleeping the word but I don't want to get into an argument. Okay, I get that, but this song wasn't written in turn of the century New York. This song was written in 1987. And I think there's a thing to say exactly as Sam alluded to there, that these words were a lot more tolerated even in when we were kids in yeah. the 80s. I was going to say, this is not that, was that. This was written when we were kids. This, to be fair, came to my attention when I was a teenager. And, you know, that is not that long ago. I mean, it was a wee bit of a while ago, but not that long ago. And... Well, I mean, even at the time, so the, the simple fact of the matter, the particularly offensive homophobic epithet, the, Kirsty McCall recorded a different version without it in it, which is played sometimes. Yeah. So I think he's a bit disingenuous to say... I agree. Yes, ...to say what he has done when they recorded a different version because they accepted that it wasn't acceptable. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, I'm not having it. And the thing is, the changing of those words does not actually impact on the song at all. And that's the point. Yeah, exactly, that's the point. So I believe in the sanitised version that Kev mentioned, she changed the lyrics to your scumbag, your maggot, your cheap and your haggard. Yeah. Which works. It does. Yeah, it does. It does work. as Shell said, there is still something to be said about why didn't Shane McGowan record a different version where the word he uses is is not replaced with something else. You know, that's a fair point. The last thing I want to say on lyrics, if you are the sort of person who says, no, it should be heard only in the original way and in no other way, all censorship is bad, then that's okay, fine. Just be aware that you share an opinion with the world's most divorced man, Lawrence Fox, who in 2020, when he heard that the BBC were playing the censored version of the song, tweeted uh, his outrage about this along with the hashtag defund the BBC. In response to that, the Pogue's official Twitter account responded, fuck off, you little heronvoke shite. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Google Heron Vogue if you don't know what the term means. <laughs> well, that says it all. 
So, Shell, have you got any more? Yeah, I've got so many facts. Okay, so the title was taken from a book by James Patrick uh, Devaney, Fairytale New York. Matt Dillon is in the uh, is the policeman in the video. If anyone mentioned that one, charted in, th- in number three after the UK after the 2005 after it was reissued. And it peaked to number six in 2006. Uh, and then in 2007, it became a first Christmas song to make the UK top 10 in three years in a row. And it's appeared in the top 20 every year since. But my best fact, I love this one. The NYPD doesn't have a choir. So the <laughs> whole the whole thing about, you know, the NYPD choir doesn't have a choir. It does have a pipe band. And they are featured in the video. Well, the, the the NYPD choir is referring to the drunk fellas in the drunk tank um, on Christmas Eve, isn't it? Kev's talking shite, you're actually. No, I'm t- I'm telling you, like I've definitely read that somewhere that the reference to the NYPD choir is referring to um, fellas in the drunk tank singing. Name your source. I mean, it is on Urban Dictionary, by the way. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> urban dictionary is your source then sound that's like what, yeah i'm i'm fine sorry, with urban what's dictionary Urban dictionary. it's like the even less reliable than wikipedia Ooh, okay <laughs> well, you know um yeah okay shall we get to scoring okay yeah okay okay your choice shall you go first well i'll go nine and a half is that your highest score so far yeah Okay. I love that song. But not 10 out of 10. I can't. I, it, well, you nicked Darling Love, okay? You nicked it. You you stole my thunder by doing that whole album, you bastard. Okay. Nine and a half. Fair enough. So, how about you? I'm going to give it an eight and a half because of the controversial lyrics. Yeah, okay. But I absolutely love it. I think you should go for a nine then. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it when it goes off on Kirstie's bit. Yeah. And I love singing around the kitchen. You love singing all the bad bits, don't lie. <laughs> I actually censor myself. So on the homophobic slur, I say wasik. <laughs> Which instantly makes it a better song. That gets 10 out of 10 if it's you cheap, lousy wasik. <laughs> Exactly. And on the other female derogatory remark, I replaced the lyrics with, you old mutton junk. I don't know why. I like that. That that. works as well. So that's what gets warbled around my kitchen. Can, Can we also point out that on two absolute classic Christmas songs... Sam has improved the lyrics twice. Yep. <laughs> I think this is going to be a theme. Sorry, but you, you cheap, lousy wazzock is that's yeah. that is I, think, I think he's brilliant, <laughs> isn't it? It fits perfectly. I think Sam's up there with like Stock Aiken and Walkerman or whatever, but for, like, you know, we're just going to put Sam forward for improving Christmas. I mean, Bernie Torpin ain't got shit on Sam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. All right, I'm going to go next. Um, I have to say. This song has become ubiquitous with people going, oh, well, do you know what the actual best Christmas song is? The one that no one ever talks about. Well, sorry, but every fucker talks about this No, now. no, I never it's said the that. hipster's choice. Fuck off. Are you calling me a hipster? I mean, Are you having a laugh? Fuck off. So that is... that. is... I've got to be honest. The fact that it's become so, I don't know, a bit passe is affecting it because I'm a dick. Yeah, you, yeah shite. Um, eight and a half, I think, is a fair score. It's, it's a great a song. Score. It's a great song, but it's, as you said, Sam, it 
does have some problematic lyrics in it, which you have improved. And it just annoys me that people go, oh, well, I like this Christmas song that you never heard. I mean, fuck off me. I was I there. don't think anybody says that anymore. Okay. But just anyway, there you go. Eight and a half out of ten. Okay, I will finish. And funnily enough, um, the hive mind works again. <laughs> oh, Kev, get off the fence. <laughs> So, yeah, I completely agree on the lyric thing. And unfortunately, it has become shorthand for certain people to go, I'm a bit alternative because I prefer this song to something that's on uh, the Now Christmas album or is on Buble's uh, stuff. Oh, can you imagine a fucking Buble version of this? Oh, my God. <laughs> but, like, the op- it's the opposite of the Elton John one in that it was an outsider song and it has become mainstream. Yeah. So, well, yeah, it's it's an eight and a half for me. Anyway, whatever. Next. What does it get at? No, what does it get? What does it get at? It gets, I can't add up. Hang on. Um, one, two, three. I mean, it four. doesn't get 39 no, out of 40. That's not what you've written down. My maths is wrong. <laughs> In my defence. Funnily enough, Shell's choice has won it's by her doing the maths. It's amazing. No, in my defence, I have drunk half bottle of Jameson's. 35 by my maths. Okay. Okay, so that kicks us off with part two. We've talked about your two songs for far longer. Than yeah, the because other mine ones. are interesting. And therefore I should have extra but points. They're not the best. So there No, you go. but they're more interesting. And therefore I should have extra points for interesting discussion. <laughs> but you don't get extra points for interesting. But no I should give you extra points. Sam, what is your second choice? So my second choice, I picked it for the controversial lyrics because I thought it would be a good talking point. I figured that. So my song of choice is Baby It's Cold Outside by... Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Jordan. Oh, I wondered who the male lyric was by because I didn't recognise it, but obviously Ella's fairly brilliant. So the song was written in 1944 but wasn't published until 1949. And obviously it's in a lot of Christmas films I remember it being on the Christmas playlist as a child in my house. And it wasn't until 2009 that it started facing criticism sort of mainstream. And I thought that we could all talk about the lyrics and, you know, obviously the controversy of today. Sam, can I ask you a question? Yeah, fam. Do you remember the Glee version talking about Glee earlier on? Because I do. I remember the Glee version. Yeah, you see, you see, because that was like two male version. That was a two male vocals, and that was pretty cool. So just before we um, we get into the the lyrics and everything, I'll just give you a little bit of background. So Sam sounds right that so it was originally written in 1944 by Frank Losa, and it was basically a song that he wrote with his wife well for his wife to perform yeah. at like hollywood parties and they did they did it for like sort of four or five years and it got them all the best invites because everyone loved the song and then lursa sold it to mgm for the romantic comedy neptune's daughter and his wife was fuming so yeah she was absolutely furious so there's a quote um, from it i felt as betrayed as if i'd caught him in bed with another woman <laughs> I mean, presumably, yeah. And she still would have been able to sing the song at a party or two. I mean, presumably. Well, they did record it as well. The, the, and it's one of the over 400 recordings of the oh song as of 2020. Mm. 
So just before we get into the the controversy, I can sort of lead us into it because the song is described as a call, well, it's a call and response duet. The host is called uh, is described as Wolf in the score, and the guest is called the Mouse. Yeah, yeah, hmm. exactly. So I think I I think it's now at this point that I hand over to Sam. Yeah, so the wolf and mouse quote comes from the lyrics Say What's in This Drink because obviously the time of the song was in the 1940s so there was a cultural expectation on women in that time and it was, wasn't socially acceptable to spend the night at your boyfriend's house. Um, so yes, obviously there was a lot of unfair social expectations for women at that time and What's in This Drink was a common idiom of the period used to sidestep them social expectations so the woman would blame her actions on the influence of alcohol so the information i found hasn't said anything about spiking a drink but it it's using alcohol as an excuse as to why she spent the night at a male's house which in a lot of ways i think is it's one of them he is giving her the drink and it's it's two of there's two evils in it You've got the unfair social expectations on women that aren't on men, but then you've got a man taking advantage of a young woman yeah. and her saying no and him not listening to that mm-hmm. and pushing drink on her. So there's two evils there, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that is something that is definitely problematic. There must be three or four times throughout the song where a misversion of it, it's Ella. And she goes, you know, the answer is no, or words to that effect. And again, with your 21st century sensibilities, it's very uncomfortable to hear that. There are other lyrics as well that I think are problematic. Away from spiking drinks or, you know, not taking no for an answer. There's a lot of gaslighting in this song as well. <laughs> Just to, to read one of the one of the final verses. You've really been grand... I thrill when you touch my hand. But you don't see. How can you do this thing to me? There's bound to be talk tomorrow. Think of my life of sorrow. At least there'll be plenty implied if you caught pneumonia and died. So I think of my life of sorrow if you caught pneumonia and died. It's like, well, you can't leave now because if something happened to you, I would feel terribly guilty. How could you do that to me? It's... um. It's pretty bleak that I no matter what century or what decade you're in it's that's I don't know maybe I'm a bit too sensitive yeah because there's another line which goes hand in hand with the line that you've just said Tim what's the sense in hurting my pride yes so if you don't stay you'll hurt my feelings if you go and you get hurt yeah you'll hurt my feelings and it's all about him yes exactly and how he's gonna feel and putting that pressure onto her and as you say no matter what year that's wrong mm-hmm. and there's there's other lines regarding cigarettes um and he's like just a cigarette more she's saying well I don't even smoke so he's pushing a lot of these things onto the woman and it's quite sad really to me this is coercive I agree with you Shell that it's completely coercive Because there's another line where the woman says, you're very pushy, you know, 
and the the male then says i think of it as opportunistic yeah so Ooh. he is excusing that co- the, go, the whole way go, through this he's, he's excusing, he's excusing that coercive yeah. behavior yeah it's all about well here i am and i'm just you know it's in the moment and she's you know at times she's kind of pushing back going oh well I really you know I don't want it but and this isn't just about girls and boys actually because that person that vocal could be male or female so I listened to the Glee version where it's two males singing and it's a great version actually because they can both really sing but oh god yes it's not about men and women it's about a stronger person or a coercive person who knows what they are doing with a person that is perhaps a wee bit pished or or a little bit less i don't know aware of the situation there's there's a power thing here and and that's what i don't like about it so i think i think you've summed that up quite well there that there is a power thing there's that there's not a hell of a lot of consent going on (laughs) within this song no no because every time she talks about her family and what a family will think gosh your lips look delicious yeah waves upon a tropical shore so then he's just showering her with compliments because he as you say he's coercing yeah. her and whether it's a, a female and female male and male male and female it doesn't matter no. it is coercive behavior there is another thing that i pick up from it which is obviously she's talking about how the neighbors are going to talk about her how everyone's going to talk about her so it was the unfair treatment yeah. of women at that time mm-hmm. and unfair expectations that men didn't have because he wasn't worrying about them no. things they weren't on his mind they were on hers so it's sad in both ways yeah and that's about power it just speaks, yeah, hundred percent. It speaks to disenfranchisement of women, particularly when the song was written, but unfortunately has continued ad nauseum through history. And it's, but it's also gay men. It's also people of transsexual background. It's it's people who are not of power. So basically, not white men, because I'm fairly sure that there's a lot of black people, a lot of transsexual people, a lot of gay people that probably be on the alternative version of this. This is about power. It's not about men or women. It's it's about power. Well, the lyrics finish, okay, fine. I'll just have another drink then. And that's really sad that he basically begs her to stay, coerces her to stay, and then she gives in to him. And it ends on that took a lot of convincing. And it's just really sad <laughs> how it ends. Yeah. yeah, it's like the fact that... The that fact she ends up giving in to it yeah. because he just carries on, carries yeah. on, carries, carries on, on, carries on uh, till he gets his own way. And he's having a bit of a moan as well. That Like, oh, it took a lot of convincing, that. How yeah, like, that's how a lot of my time. We, we could have been doing other things now. Yeah. But do you know what? I think that is absolutely indicative of the time that it was written in and i think if one thing i can take away from so many of these songs is they were written in the 1940s and 1950s it was and i you know it was so so wrong but i can't blame those people for being brought up in that society they couldn't think outside their own box with those social expectations yeah it was an expectation and and you know they were wrong they were so so wrong but it was just that was the expectation that that women would do that and the men would do that. I mean, God, I I feel sorry for men in so many ways. They had so many expectations on them to be a certain thing. I mean, God help you if you weren't straight and white and... If you weren't Don Draper. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's almost sad that it's glamorised now, like the life in the 50s. It's almost glamorised in some ways yeah, in today's within, yeah, it is. Within, yeah. Mad Men, within Mad Men and like yeah. people wanting to be the Don Draper character. Yeah, yeah and it, it's sad because very rarely is it spoken about on a more deeper level that actually times were really hard and there was yeah. so much social expectation on everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, to bring us back to what we think about the songs. Well, Sam, you chose it. What do you actually think about the song itself? I think the Ella Fitzgerald version is beautiful because she sings beautifully. (laughs) But genuinely, I, I can't get past today's meaning behind the lyrics. And I I chose it specifically for the controversy, just to add a bit of a curveball Mm -hmm. into the podcast. But you can't take away Ella Fitzgerald's voice. She is. Mm -mm. It's like butter to the ears. It's just phenomenal. I I wouldn't put butter in my ears. That sounds all sorts of... Well, you put olive oil in your ears, don't you? Like, if if they're blocked up. But not butter. That'll just coagulate and... Anyway, sorry, Shell. What do you think? Because I know you are a big fan of Ella. Ella Fitzgerald is is like my heroine of all things of all times. I love that woman. I love her voice. I love what she stood for. I love what she grew up with. I love the fact that no matter what life dealt her, and it dealt her some cards. I love the fact that she turned up. She put a smile on her face. She performed, and she was probably the greatest vocalist. Well, I don't know. She's up there anyway. But Aretha. yeah, all Aretha's up there too. But I love, I love her. I can't help it. She's my, she's my man. She's, she's who I love. So I can't really um, say anything more about Ella's performance because I think both of you have have spoken about that really well. Uh, I think Louis jo- uh, Louis Jordan's performance is really good as well. Yeah. He sounds he sounds great in it. I agree. Uh, and to just bring this bit to a close, I would also like to give some props to the brass section because I think they give a really nice jazzy feel to this. Right from the off, it's got a nice yeah, sort of jazz swing. Swing, feel yeah, to it's it. very lounge. Yeah, it, exactly, very lounge, and uh, and that is something I like. I, I this is not my favorite song, but and not just because of the lyrics. It's just it's never really resonated with me. But this version, it's got. As you said, Shell, it's got a nice lounge swing to it. Mm. So yeah, and I, I much prefer this this version. I'm glad Sam picked this version because there's the Dean Martin ones. Oh sort no, of the, no, is but that that's far too lounge. This no. this has a, no. the nice balance with it. Yeah, you should listen to the Glee version. That's that's well. So whilst Sorry. we're on cover versions, can I? Yeah, can I <laughs> can I talk about some cover versions, please? Not in, includes Michael Bublé. I mean, it does. <laughs> I know, I know it does because I've heard it, and no. So I'm not going to go through all of them. So you mentioned the Dean Martin version, also covered by, amongst others, Ray Charles and Betty Carter. That's all right. Barry Manilow, Jesus Christ. Bette Midler and James Kahn in 1991. I mean, I bet that was a bombastic version of this song. I think that's in a film. Uh, yes, apparently yeah, it was in... music from uh, the motion picture for the boys. There you go. People in the UK might be familiar with the Tom Jones and Keris Matthews version. Dreadful. Uh, it's also been covered by uh, Zoe Deschanel and Leon Redbone from the soundtrack to Elf. 
Jessica Simpson and Nick Lachey. Jesus fucking Christ. Rod Stewart and Dolly Parton. Oh my God. Michael Bublé has actually recorded two versions of yeah. this song. Two fucking... I hate you, one, Michael Bublé. One wasn't enough. <laughs> one with Anne Murray, Andy's mum. Idina Menzel. And one with, uh, yeah, Idina Menzel. I was going to say Idina Menzel, who is Elsa in Frozen. All right. So we need to score it. We, yes, we do need to score it. So, uh, Sam, it's your choice. What are you going to score it? Because it's Ella Fitzgerald, I'm going to give it a three. Oh, fucking hell, a three! Which wow. I feel like is fair, even though obviously I've picked it and we're doing the competition. I feel like it's fair because of the level of controversy in the lyrics. But it's Ella Fitzgerald, so because it's her voice... Obviously, it gets a three, but the controversy loses it. Wow, that okay, is, that is uh, the lowest score anything has ever got on Album Clash, but there you go, a three. Shell, what about you? Oh, okay, that's a bit harsh. Right, I'm not going to go that hard. <sighs> okay, so maybe six, because, yeah, it's Ella. I love her. It's not the greatest song in the world, but I love the call and response. I've always loved call and response. It, it needs some updating, but this is a good version of it. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with what you've said. I'm with your score, actually. I think the six is very fair. I think it's the best version of this song that I have heard because of Ella Fitzgerald. So she's great. Yeah, six out of ten is fair. It's a troublesome song, but it's a really good version of it. So six for me. Kev, you complete things. I mean, your score is somewhat academic because unless you're going to give it 25 out of 10, I don't think this is going to be the winner. (laughs) So I will hold my hand up and say I've never liked this song, even before I sort of realised about the controversy. Like, I didn't... It's never really grabbed me. Ella Fitzgerald is a phenomenal singer, but I don't like the song, and it's all wrong. So I'm going to come down with a three as well. Okay, so that is a very clear 18 out of 40, and uh, firmly in last place. Yep. So's Ella. We love we love your work. We love Ella, but no, it's we just don't like we don't like your song. All right, Kev, uh, it is your song next. So my choice is uh, "Silver Bells" by Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. So the song "Silver Bells" itself, it was originally re- released in October 1950 was written by Jay Livingston and Ray Evans. It was first sung by William Forley and then was popularised by Bob Hope and Marilyn Maxwell in the film Lemon Drop Kid. Later sang by Bing Crosby, who brought it into the popular consciousness, particularly in America. So apparently the song was originally supposed to be called Tinkle Bells until Jay Livingston's wife pointed out that tinkle is slang for having a piss. <laughs> for that may not be the um, the best name for the song. And the, the song itself is supposedly inspired by the bells used by the various Santas on the sidewalk at Christmas in New York to sort of uh, solicit mm. donations. Yeah, as you can you know hear with the lyrics, like, it's Christmas time in the city. So obviously we went through this song, uh, well, a different version of this song, obviously, on the Motown Christmas album, where it was recorded by the Supremes. Well, Shell, what did you think when you heard this? Well, 
the thing is, I always know the Bing Crosby version. When I listen to this song, I immediately think of Bing Crosby, and it's very sanitized. And so, yeah, I mean, the the version that you've put on there is actually better. To be fair, it's much more funky. There's a definite kind of gospel vibe in there, and I like that. But um, the the one in popular sort of circulation is Bing Crosby, and and it's a bit. <laughs> It's a bit meh, if I'm honest, and, and, and I can't help it, I'm sorry. But I, I just find that a little bit about that. So, again, I'm I'm sort of going to agree. This is a good version. It's certainly better than the Supremes version that we went through the other week. It's a good version. Yeah, like you said, the way it starts with that sort of lone piano and, yeah. the, and the single vocal from Shannon Jones, it has got that gospel sensibility, as you said. Then it becomes, well, a, a really good sort of revisionist R&B piece, if you like. Some great brass, some lovely backing vocals. It's... It... if Like, so, Sam, like, you really didn't... You weren't taken by the start initially, were you? Not by the start. I was like, oh, it's going to be quite, like, a slow song, and I like upbeat Christmas songs. But then it kicked in, and, oh, my God, it was <laughs> fantastic. I mean the the Zap Kings the Zap Kings are great. I've, I, I saw I saw them a few years ago and they are they are brilliant. Well, they were brilliant because Sharon Jones tragically died in yeah, 2016. Indeed, but you know she's got a cracking voice and they're really funky. And I don't particularly like Silver Bells as a song. I think it's but they do they do something really good with it and make it make it fun. Make it as, yeah, as it's you said. definitely fun. And that's the type of Christmas music I personally go for. Um, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It, it. it brings it up tempo, really. Uh, uh, so yes, I I agree with that. So I nearly chose something else from this album. I nearly chose Ain't No Chimneys in the Projects, which is a fucking banger. I was very tempted by that. It's great. This, Yeah, I agree with what Sam said. It is a really funky, fun, up-tempo version of the song. But... I can't get past the fact that um, I've now heard two versions. I said when we went through the Motown Christmas album, I'd never heard another version of Silver Bells. Now I heard two versions. It's not a great song. I do find it, even this version, I do find it a bit too saccharine. Okay. I'm with you. I I just find it a bit bland. You know, it, it's not going to upset me, but it's it's like Christmas wallpaper. So, yeah, there are better songs from this album, in my opinion, that... Um, I'd be a lot more effusive about if you'd chosen them. Yeah, I decided to like pick this one because it it's a song that I I don't particularly like, but I really like Sharon Jones, so I wanted to see whether whether she could do something that I liked with it, and I th- she does a hundred percent. I think it just takes the song to a whole new level. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, she's she's I... the best thing in it. Oh God, yeah. I think this, if it wasn't for her and and the 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 original is quite, yeah. in my yes. opinion, boring. But obviously this, it, in my opinion, it feels like listening to a new song. Mm-hmm. What's the album that it's off, Sam? It's a holiday soul party. By Sharon Jones and the Dapkins. Yeah, and it, like definitely check that out because it it's a belter of a Christmas album. It's a great Christmas album. So it was released in 2015, not, as Kev said, shortly before uh, Shannon Jones tragically passed away. And um, as I said, there, is, there are songs on that album that I much prefer to this one. 
Um, so there you go. But um, as I said, the, the best version of the song that I've heard, although the song is just a bit too saccharine for me. Okay. Scores on the doors. Let's score it. Okay, as it's my pick, I think she sings it brilliantly. It's funky, there's great brass. It's a it's a really good soul version. But I don't love the song itself, so I'm going to come down with a 7 out of 10. Okay. Ken? 6 out of 10 for me. Sorry, I, I'd love to give it more because it's a good version. It's a lot better than the version we went through a couple of days ago on our most recent show. But... It's nothing to do with the performance. It is a really accomplished performance, brilliantly sung, brilliantly performed. I just think the song is too schmaltzy for me, so I'm going to have to go six. Sorry. Okay. Well, it's a seven out of ten for me. Um, it's the, the vocals lift it a little bit. Sam, what f- it's your choice. Um, no. I agree with you and Kev. It's seven out of ten, solid seven, good funky beat. Wouldn't be number one on my Christmas playlist, but it would definitely be there. Mm-hmm. I think seven's fair. Yeah, okay. So it gets 27 out of 40, and uh, if it wasn't for Ella Fitzgerald propping things up, then it would be at the bottom, but it's second yeah. to bottom as we are. Okay, on to the final choice. Which is mine. I mean, of course, I'm the headline act. Why wouldn't I be? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to come out with a line like that. I literally had it in my head. Modest as ever. (laughs) All right. So my final choice and the final song we're going to go through, I don't think it's going to win, but you're all fucking wrong. (laughs) It's Christmas Wrapping by The Waitresses. So I'm going to do some of the facts first. It was released originally in 1981 on Z Records. It was featured on the Z Records compilation album, A Christmas Record, at an imaginative title, in 1981. On its initial release, it didn't chart, uh, but it was re-released the following year, and it reached number 45 in the UK, which was their highest charting single in this country. And it also reached number 87 on the Billboard Holiday 100 chart. So uh, I just want to read a couple of things on the composition and recording of the song by the songwriter and the guitarist from The Waitresses, Chris Butler. Last year in 2020, he was interviewed by The Guardian and he said... We were signed to Z Records, but they had other priorities. We were on the road trying to push I Know What Boys Like, uh, which is a great song, by the way. Mm -hmm. Uh, A single that was in limbo because Z couldn't distribute it. Then they asked us for a Christmas record. I hope they'd forget the idea, but they didn't. I was such a Scrooge. I hated Christmas. Also, I worked as a freelance journalist. In December in New York... Everyone with the job takes a long holiday, so I'd get offered work I was too poor to turn down. I'd have all the stuff to do when everyone else was having their eggnog, and I poured my sourness into this song. The first words I wrote down were, Bah humbug. It's about two people alone at Christmas, who meet when they're buying cranberry sauce, and they get together. Of course, it had to have a happy ending. It's Christmas, but it was tongue-in-cheek. So the title of the song itself is a nod to Curtis Blow's 1979 hit Christmas Rappin'. And the way in which Patty Donahue sings the verses in particular is pretty much like rapping. What I definitely want to point out is it's a lovely pun, the title. It's, yeah, it is. 
I mean, I, I, we, we like a pun here on Album Clash, and that's a good exactly. one. Exactly. I like the tune. It's, it is. It's, it's a, a boss tune. It is a cracker. It is a cracker. It is not a cracker. It's not good. That's not rapping. That's just some white woman, like, just, just kind of talking. That's not rapping. I'm sorry. sorry. Like, Shell, you are absolutely in the... You are so wrong. It's Merry a- Christmas. Merry Christmas. That's <laughs> not rapping. Get in the bin. That's not rapping. Rapping is, you know, I don't know, it's a lot of other shit, but it ain't that. Did, did you just tell your wife to get in the bin? Yes, <laughs> I did. <laughs> and I'm going to publish it as well. <laughs> and that's okay. You couldn't be more wrong. It's fun. It's uplifting. It's a really, like, I'm sorry, like, if you're at a Christmas day, and this comes on. You're getting up and you're you having are a beer so on the really? Exactly. So I, in my notes, I have described this as the real gone kid of Christmas songs. <laughs> really? No. Because it is. It absolutely is. My tie's going round my head. My buttons are going undone, and I am fucking going off on this. Absolutely yeah. right. To, like this is definitely a dancing to the dance floor um song mm-hmm. that you're like on the way from the bar you like you see someone the arms go up and you yeah. go let's go we're like, we are floor. we are having this nope nope <laughs> i'm not there with you i'm sorry i was somewhere with like you know footloose and kenny loggins i don't know but oh my God. i have no idea <laughs> but you yeah, you like it like no. had the Christmas do stick footloose on? Yeah, footloose. Come on, that that is my kind of yeah. Christmas, that's no. This will be Shell's final appearance on. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I didn't mind. I came. I conquered. So the song itself it tells the story of the lonely protagonist, as sung by Patty Donahue, who met a fella. Well, as she says, last year ski shop. Tried to get together at various points through the year. Various mishaps kept getting in the way. But then on Christmas Eve, as Shell has just said, when she's out in the snow trying to get some cranberry sauce at the only all-night grocery that's open, uh, she meets said same fella who's trying to buy the same product. And it all ends happily. It's... It's complete crap because oh, actually, oh, you know, oh. you can buy frozen cranberries and white trees. She forgot to buy it. Yeah, but you should have bought frozen cranberries and white trees and just made what she your says, own. Oh, damn, guess what I forgot? It's been just no, no. I'm sorry, like your position is utter nonsense. You can't you can't have your Christmas dinner without cranberry sauce. So if you forget it, you've got to go out to the online grocery, you've got to get it. And the story of the song is basically the plotline for most Hallmark movies that have, <laughs> yes. have ever been produced. Of course. The thing I was going to say, the only thing it's missing is like the protagonist is a high-powered New York <laughs> executive. executive. goes back to the small town. And falls in love with a high school sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched three of those already this week. Channel 5. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, so... Again, I just want to talk about the music for a second, and I want to, in particular, call about the bass line and the guitar part, which you may have listened to and thought, this has got very distinct Nile Rodgers overtones. Uh, That is not an accident. So, (laughs) Tracy Wormworth, who uh, was a fantastic bassist, she was the bassist for The Waitresses, she said in that same interview with The Guardian, I remember thinking one really hot day, we're recording a Christmas song in August. All right, then. 
At the time, Good Times by Chic was out. And for bass players, Bernard Edwards' badass bass line was iconic. I wasn't trying to rip it off, but I was heavily inspired by it. I mean, you were trying to rip it off, but that's, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> I sat in the studio and worked out note for note what I would play. It's a belting bass line. It just is. Yeah, it is. It, it's brilliant. And like, I'm sorry, if, you, if you're trying to ape uh, Bernard Edwards, then it's not a bad fella to be trying to copy. Exactly. As I say, the guitar part that goes over the top of it is very Nile Rogers. It's sorry, Shell, you, you are outvoted. This is this is great. We all love it. I love it. I I, I just love it. Yeah. As soon as you hear "Bah Humbug," no, that's too strong. It's my favorite holiday. It just yeah. yeah, straight away. I just want to get up and dance and. I will I will hold my hands up and say like I don't know when I first heard the song, but I'll honestly say that when I first heard it. I didn't. I didn't know it was the waitresses. I thought it was Debbie Harry singing it. Yeah, you're not the only one. I, for a long time, thought this was a Blondie song, uh, but it's not. It's by the waitresses, and it's Boss. It's my favourite Christmas song. That's why I picked it. And I can't understand why anyone would listen to this and not want to just get up and dance. So there you go. So I'm going to make a statement, but I'm going to look to Sam to back me up on this. To me, as someone who's never been to New York, like it has a kind of New York strut about it. What do you Yeah, it a hundred percent has a New York strut about it. Strutting round Times Square, Manhattan. Yeah, amazing. Okay, well, uh, I haven't been to New York either, so I think that is the perfect way for us to say let's get to scoring. Hundred okay. percent. Let's do it. Uh, I'm going first. And, uh, yeah, I am going to be that guy. This is my favourite Christmas song. I think this is a perfect pop song. It's catchy. It's funky. It's got a great hook to it. It's got fantastic musicianship on it. So I am going to give this 10 out of 10. And, yes, that is my own bias. And you can call me a shithouse. <laughs> but it's my podcast. And you just can all get to fuck. 10 out Wait, of 10 from me. Hold on. Your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, listeners, you, this may be the uh, Simon and Garfunkel moment within the pod. <laughs> All right, Kev, where are you going? Okay, um, I think it's an absolute belter. I love it. It's a great Christmas song, but there are ones that we have discussed tonight that I do prefer more, so I'm going to come down with an eight on it. Shit else. <laughs> Sam, what about you? I'm giving it a nine out of ten because it's boss and I love it. <laughs> Nothing more complicated than that. Nah, <laughs> and Shell, uh, I'm guessing you were going to score it somewhat lower yeah, than us. But I go am. on, what I'm is your sorry. score? Go I, on. I just don't see it, so I'm I'm going to give it a seven out of ten because it's it's okay, it's good, it's fun. It's just I'm not feeling it. Yeah, seven. Okay, <sighs> you've absolutely fucked me there. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's my well, you shouldn't have told us to get in the bin then, should you? <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair point. That's a fair point, that's Sam. Uh, so, if my math is correct, that means Christmas wrapping gets 34 out of 40. So, in last place, we have Ella Fitzgerald with Baby It's Cold Outside. That has 18 out of 40. Then, we have Silver Bells by Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. That Gets 27 out of 40. Uh, up next at number six in our chart is the Staple Singers with Who Took Mary Out of Christmas. That gets 29 out of 40. 
Then our next one up is Slade with Merry Christmas, everybody. That gets 32 out of 40. Only one point ahead of that is Shell's second choice, Fairy Tale of New York. That gets 33 out of 40. Our top three in the bronze medal position. It is the waitresses with Christmas wrapping. That gets 34 out of 40. In the silver medal position, Chuck Berry, run, ruled off, run, on 35 and a half out of Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> but streaking home with the gold medal in first place and winner of the Album Clash official greatest Christmas songs of all time, even though two of the people on this show didn't choose their favourite Christmas song chart is Elton John's Step Into Christmas with a colossal 37 out of 40. Belter. Well, it got that because I changed the lyrics. It did. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And Tim added a bit as well. Me and Tim got it up there. The, the Sam and Tim mega mix um, is what we, what we gave the high score to. Okay. Thank you for listening, guys. That brings us almost to the end of our Christmas bonus pod. But before we do finish, Kev, how, please tell us, can people keep in touch with the show? So we are recording this a, just a little bit just before the uh, magical Christmas day. You may have se- unfortunately been subject to seeing Piers Corbin do a rap. <laughs> Which was on Twitter. If you've seen it, unfortunately, I have, and I can never unsee it. <laughs> Whilst on Twitter, you can check us out at Clash Album. Um, if you are a fan of Sam's highly crafted quality content, um, you can check out our Insta at Clash Album. Or if you are the resolutely old school, you can send us an electronic mail to albumclash at gmail.com great stuff thank you very much listeners we hope you have had are having whatever a very very merry christmas really appreciate you listening to the show have a very merry christmas oh that's nice that have the best chance of the year isn't that booble Nope. Have you, have you snuck Mickey Bubbles into the No, pod? no one could do that. That was like Lady Antebellum before they became Lady A. Thanks for listening. Get in touch. Leave a rating. Leave a review. Have a lovely Christmas. Have a very delightful New Year. We will see you. Well, our next clash is the start of our electro season. And our very next episode, I'll be taking us through Kraftwerk's Autobahn from 1974. Until then, I have, as always, been Tim. I've been Shell. I remain Kev. And I've been Sam. Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time, take care. See you later. Ta-da. Bye.